Thanks, Sandy. Want to add my welcome to yours? I won't go on for as long as you've gone on with all the bits and pieces that you've gone on with. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll save that space for my sermon, but just want to add my welcome. And it is great to have people back in the building here, see some faces to interact with. It's been a while since we've had uh, people in here, so that's just great. Um, and we're just kind of looking forward to uh, the day when there aren't any restrictions, where we're not clicking things and signing in and, and all that sort of stuff, where we can just come back in here and just be together as a family and enjoy the fellowship and, and intimacy of that. that will, that'll be great. Hey, what happened to birthdays? Do we not care anymore? It's my mum's birthday today. She won't be watching. She's got her own church, but... Um, and, and if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, hey, what happened to all the birthdays? I'm not too sure uh, what happened to the birthdays, but um, happy birthday to you. It's been your birthday this week. <laughs> hey, uh, let's, let's pray. And we're going to be stepping out of Luke um, probably until next year, uh, probably till after Easter next year. So it'll, I think, you know, on that kind of a planning schedule, we should be out of Luke by about September 2024, the way we're going with that. With that gospel, but that's okay. That's good. And for the next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, preparing our hearts for for Christmas during what the Christian calendar calls a season of Advent. So um, not those stupid little calendars that you get from Woolworths now, where you pop out a treat each day, but um, actually a Christian liturgical calendar that actually begins the Christian year, if you like. Uh, but we're going to use it to to just to frame up our thinking about what it means and why it was uh, that God entered into our experience, into the experience of this beautiful but broken world. Uh, the word Advent we get it's derived from a Latin word that means. Adventus, or is Adventus, it means uh, arriving or coming. Uh, and then they translated it into Greek, which is parousia. That also means arrival. So, so it's a season where, we, where we're looking back and we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus. That is, that, that, that Christmas has come to be framed around. But also in that, we're also thinking about the promises forward of, of Jesus' second coming. So there you go. That's going to be the next four weeks. Hey, uh, let's pray and then we'll kind of crack on into today's message. Loving God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. We still are vastly a church that is one church in many homes, people scattered throughout our area here in their homes, able to come and to worship and to pray and give meaning to their faith. But we are exceedingly grateful for the opportunity to be able to see more and more people come in here. Here is the gathered people of God. Natural born enemies are coming together as brothers and sisters uh, where our shared uh, experience of grace in Jesus is just something that we, we nurture amongst each other, that we challenge each other with, that we hold each other accountable for, but that we, that we grow in each other. And we can't do that in isolation, but to be able to come together uh, this morning is just a beautiful thing to be able to see that out there. Lord, as we, kinda, as we look into your word this morning in a few little spots, and as we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas, would we just pause uh, through this next four months? It's been a crazy year. And would we just take the time to, to just kind of go, well, what, what are we going to do with this season and what are we going to make of it? What should our hearts be set on? And we pray that your spirit would nurture that in us and lead us uh, to truth, warm our hearts with affection for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you. Well, actually... I don't think I'm going out on much of a limb. When I say that um, 
2020 has has been a year of of lost rhythms, of lost traditions, uh, of lost celebrations, and we've probably felt that here in Victoria uh, more than anywhere else. Uh, in our country. Uh, we've seen 18th birthdays and 21sts and 50ths and all and so on. They've all been scrapped and we've had to settle for um, Zoom birthdays with a little poxy cake in front of the candles and things like that. Wedding anniversaries have, have been put on hold, been replaced with um, pizza and Netflix, which for some people is probably a step up, but who knows. Other things, or more recently, what we've seen is, at, is and you know, we've seen our kids, the valedictory, um, what are those things, the valedictory uh, things and, and the graduations and the dinners and all that, they've all been cancelled. And we've had a year of what we would call uh, diminished joy when it comes to being able to uh, make much of important events, uh, important people, and all these kind of things in our lives. So as we approach uh, Christmas and as, as Christmas approaches us and as we're emerging out of our pandemic kind of hibernation and celebrations and gatherings are all back in the rhythms of our life, how are we going to go all out uh, and enjoy Christmas but stay connected to reality? How do we prepare ourselves so that we don't get disappointed by having the wrong expectations that this Christmas uh, is, is going to somehow make up for all that we've missed this, this year? Uh, putting all our hopes on finishing the year off well by, by, ho- by uh, holding kind of the most spectacular kind of Christmas celebrations, gatherings, whatever we like. Uh, Indeed, every Christmas, uh, as we approach the 25th of December, we're kind of bombarded uh, by messages and and the promise, uh, you know, from social media, from commercials and all that stuff, uh, that as we gather around our our specially themed coloured Christmas trees, that as we spend up big on food and presents, uh, that we're we're just going to have some kind of Christmas miracle take place. Place, that all the family tensions will dissolve uh, and all the strife and all the hardship, all the sorrow, a disappointment and annoyance of the year uh, will just fade away and be replaced by magical joy. The kids are going to be transformed into deeply satisfied, deeply grateful creatures who receive their presence with uh, an unquenchable thanks that doesn't kind of disappear by 5pm on Boxing Day. That's the hope, yeah? That's the picture that we are sold uh, with increasing measure by social media, by commercials, uh, that we can create an alternative universe, an alternative environment in which all the mess of this one is through the power of Coles, through the power of Kmart, is restored and made good and made perfect, even if it's just for that little window. But I want to tell you that if that's your approach to Christmas... Uh, that, if, if, that if it's more shaped uh, by what ha- Christmas has become, uh, by the promises offered on what Christmas has become, rather than the how and why Christmas came to us in the first place, then you're going to be placing your Christmas hopes in something that at the same time overpromises, promises more than it can deliver, a Christmas miracle, and underpromises. Because the miracle is tied to our capacity to create it and to maintain it. 
Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, invites us to either remember or consider how it is that Christmas is not about us um, making our environments and our circumstances better by some uh, effort-driven Christmas miracle, but how God miraculously broke into our environments, broke into the mess and chaos to meet us right where we're at and to provide us with a hope and a joy and a peace and a love. And they're the four um, themes of Advent, if you like. How God came in uh, to come good on a promise that maybe perhaps not this Christmas, but maybe someday soon, everything really will be good and perfect. Timothy Keller notes that we are irreducibly hope-based creatures. Our experience, our our state of being, our our mental health, uh, everything about us is tied to our perception of our expected future. So longing for real hope is an aspect of what it is to be human. But as we begin Advent, uh, we're looking at, the, at how the arrival of Jesus gives us that, that real hope. All of us tend to place our hopes, though, in some pretty uh, scary places. We hope that our ho- health won't fail us. We hope that our job is going to last. We hope that the person we're married to won't wound or betray us. We hope that if we work hard, we'll be rewarded for that. We hope that if we're good, good things will come to us. They'll unfold for us. But as we've seen this year, something as small as a microscopic little particle of DNA can derail most of these hopes. We want to be sure. We want to be secure. We want to live with courage. We we don't want to be weakened uh, by fear, paralyzed by doubt, or filled with anxiety, wondering, you know, what next? However... Our experience of life means that there is, in hope itself, a degree of insecurity, a degree of doubt, and that shapes how we live. And as good a thing as hope is, it's only really as good as the object that it's attached to. However, we were never meant to be like this. We were never meant to be uh, irreducibly hope-based creatures, as good as I love that phrase, as good as it is. We were actually created enjoying certainty. We were actually created enjoying security. And before we ever hoped, we trusted, we knew. We live without fear. We live without dread, terror, or anxiety. We never wondered, we never doubted about our ultimate future because we lived uh, in gladness-filled relationship of love and joy and peace with God. And we were filled with a deep satisfaction. We just knew ridiculous joy. But now hope has become uh, contaminated, if you like, with uh, unsettling uncertainty of our future. And this is a product of our rebellion and our sin against God who had made us complete, full of joy, deep satisfaction. Nevertheless, our longing for real hope is a restlessness of our hearts that reminds us that there is uh, more to hope than what this world has to offer. We are irreducibly hope-based creatures because God spoke a promise of hope into our hearts. 
And that note of hope uh, is the note of hope that rings throughout human history, that, that's recorded and laid down in the Bible, recorded and laid down uh, in Scripture. And it's an entirely different kind of quality of hope uh, than the one we naturally experience. This quality of hope is attached to the character of God. It is attached to the zeal of the Lord, his passionate desire for our well-being and ultimately for his glory. This is a hope spoken to us in a promise that we are not abandoned and alone in the world. That insecure hope is not the last word for life on this planet. God will restore what has been lost by bringing, by bringing back relational joy and peace back into our hearts and our experience. In Genesis 3, we read how the story of uh, human sin replaced security with fear, love with indifference, peace with restlessness, joy with insecurity, replaced those things in the human condition. But we also hear God make this gracious promise that a child will come, a, a promised hope in this child, and, and this child will restore all that was lost. This gracious promise of God becomes the, the organizing theme of Scripture, of the Bible, and, and the rest of human history. As every character and every event finds its place in relationship to this promise of a child, uh, this, this promise of anticipated hope. And all throughout Scripture and human history, uh, as our experience of life uh, uh, is in unmet needs and unmet hopes they tend to lead us away from God but our, throughout human history throughout scripture we see God speaking back into that experience uh, reminding us of his promise that we are not alone that he is doing something that the promise is coming the words of the prophet Isaiah who lived some 750 years uh, before the, re- the reco- recorded um, historic event of Jesus' birth uh, spoke into a time of unmet hopes and of people moving away from God in hopelessness. Through Isaiah and, and, and through many uh, of, the, of the prophets, God once again reminded his people of his promise of hope and gave stunning details uh, to both the arrival of that hope and the nature of that hope and that promise. Isaiah himself, you know, 8th century BC, lived in a time of great uncertainty about the future. Looming in the north was the emerging superpower of the Assyrians, and they're just kind of laying waste to everything without mercy. Uh, Tim brought to our attention uh, the way the Assyrians kind of rolled up on people uh, in his series on Jonah. And Isaiah spoke into that time. He spoke of a time of misplaced hope. hope. Hope that was more based on human depravity and corruption. When, when people acquitted the guilty for a bribe. A time when people thought uh, only of their own interests over the interests and the expense of others. A time of, of what is literally uncaring uh, capitalism. Isaiah speaks of uh, houses being joined to houses as big corporate entities swallow up little small businesses. It's an environment that we would describe as, as postmodernism. No absolutes. Evil is good. Good is evil. Darkness is light. Light is darkness. Sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet. A time when people sought wisdom and insight from creation and not the creator from the from the dead from 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 
from the spirit world, if you like, and not from the living God. A time when everything that people had placed their hopes in turned to rubble and dust. But into this darkness, into this despair, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah of a child who will bring about an incredible transformation, a wonderful reversal of this experience, a a picture of universal and unchallenged joy and peace and hope. Isaiah says there in chapter 9, verse 2, a people enslaved to hopeless darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone, a light has dawned. Notice that it does not say that from within the world a light has emerged, a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned and has shone, kind of like the rising of the sun. But how is this promised light dawned upon us? Who is this all-powerful figure of reversal that will bring joy and peace described through this chapter? It's not a warrior. It's not a great military figure. It's, it's, It's not some mastermind political figure either. It's not some kind of colossus who emerges. It's a child. In chapter 9, 6, Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. When your experience of life pulls you away from God, when our hopes go unmet, God points us not to might and power, not to how through our own resources we might create a Christmas miracle, but to a child, to vulnerability, to weakness, to the child of Christmas. However, we note that all the titles that, 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 that surround this child in Isaiah 9.6, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, are all titles that are actually given to God. So the perception would have been that this child will someday rule as God's king on earth, establishing this promised renewal. In chapter 7 of this same book of Isaiah, Isaiah said the arrival of this child that's going to come will be marked by a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. But what no Hebrew or no Israelite or anyone for that matter awaiting for this promised hope could have possibly fathomed was that these titles and this sign were not just figurative. They were not just functional. They were literal. Isaiah spoke of a child who was God, not a child who ruled for God. God is not planning to raise up a king from humanity. God is planning to visit humanity as its king and in doing so become our concrete object of hope, of peace that will never end, that will never fade, that will never disappoint, that you won't get bored of by 5 p.m. on Boxing Day. This hope is not based in human effort but in, or, or our own development, but it's based in the zeal of the Lord, Isaiah tells us. The character of God uh, is what's going to see this promise arrive. And every time God's people uh, thought that his promise had slipped uh, from, from being their guiding story, God continues to step in and demonstrate that hope in him is not mere optimism, but the foundation of life. God has not over-promised. He will deliver. Well, in Matthew's gospel, 
Uh, he's one of the gospel writers that reveal to us uh, that, that the promise is actually greater than, than anyone who, had, who was waiting for it, could have anticipated or imagined. It is God himself who breaks into human history as a child. In Matthew chapter 1, through that chapter in verses 22, Matthew sums up uh, his account of how Jesus entered the world. He reminds us about the eternal promise of hope that that these events, this this virgin conception to this couple who are, are from the line of David, the birth of this child, all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken about by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not figuratively, not ambassadorially, but literally God with us. God's response to every dread and fear, every insecurity and uncertainty that has ever filled uh, humanity with hopelessness is Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Come to save us uh, from the desperate hopelessness that sin has enslaved us to. God has, in the person of Jesus, entered into our situation. A God who meets us where we're at. A God who comes to us. A God who gets involved in the mess. A God who doesn't expect us to drag ourselves out of it. Christmas is not just another legend or nice story where we tell ourselves... Uh, that we tell ourselves to foster comfort. It's a celebration of the coming of God's promise. A child born to a virgin, but a young, devout peasant girl. A child cradled and wrapped in rags and held by rough but callous a carpenter's hands. A child born out in obscurity, not in, not in power and might. A, a child born in poverty, not in comfort and wealth. A child that is in every way just like you and I, fully human, fully engaged in the human experience, who himself has to hope in God. But a child that is in every way God, a mighty God with matchless power that can overcome the grip of sin that has caused us doubt, a child who's described as everlasting father, that is a God who loves fiercely, fiercely enough that he has come to die for us, whose love conquers our shame and draws us to repentance. A child who is described as the Prince of Peace, a God of reconciliation, bringing peace to our hearts through his rule and reign. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is the arrival of the promised child, spoken of back in the, in the Garden of Eden. The child that all of history has longed for. A child that will put us back together again across all lines, across relationships with each other, with relationship with God. Christmas did not merely happen to let us know that God exists. Christmas is God's promise of reconciliation to bring bring us near to God so that we can live in real hope. At Christmas, we see how Jesus was prepared to enter into our hopelessness, that we might see him as the object of dawning hope. Hope that we don't have to create, but hope that comes to us. You see, Christmas is not about pretending that everything is great, and that we don't suffer, and that we don't struggle, that we don't live in challenging environments, have challenging relationships. Christmas is not about trying to paint over the cracks, 
with a hard-fought Christmas miracle. Christmas is about acknowledging that the things at times, that though things at times can feel hopeless, God knows about them. God has seen them. God hears them and God has gotten involved in them. Christmas means we live in a world that has been visited by its maker. God has shown up. That's how interested and committed he is to your well-being. Christmas tells us that God himself has come to provide ultimate hope. and We don't have to do a thing to create it. We don't have to do a thing to work it up. We just receive it. It comes and it finds us. And all we need is need. Jesus, the child at the center of this Christmas story, is the hope of the world. The arrival of a promise made in an eternity past and in the character and love of God has been able to come true and given us a concrete object that we can place our fiercest hopes in. Christmas is not the completion of the story, though. Like I said, Jesus did not just arrive to show us that God exists. That, that would be the kind of object of hope that still leaves us trying to strive in our own efforts. Christmas is the arrival of a God who has not come to tell us what we must do to find hope in him, but rather we discover that God has come to rescue us from hoping in the wrong things. God has come to be our hope. The manger is where Jesus stepped out of eternity and into human history. But Jesus did not enter into human history merely to live as an object of hope to aspire to. As if we could all just live like Jesus. You know, the world would be a much better place if everybody just aspired to be like Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Again, that's a picture of hope that leaves us hopeless because no one has ever been able to do that. No one can ever do that. No one can ever live a perfect life. But Jesus takes that perfect life that he lived from a manger to a cross. And there he exchanges it for our hopeless one. Christmas leads us to a cross. And here we find the full extent of hope that God would not just enter into our world, but that he would die in our place so that we could enter back into his world. Christmas invites us to consider the story of a child who himself is God, who offered himself to become our object of hope so that our hearts might find true joy, real peace, and love back with the Father. Surprisingly, Christmas tells us that you cannot actually fix ourselves, but that's okay. God has come to be our hope, a hope that says you are far more wicked and sinful than you would ever dare admit, but a hope that says you are far more loved than you ever dare dream. Let's pray. I mean, God, we thank you that this hope is met in Jesus. And as we, as we come out of this year of, um, of chaos and, and changed uh, rhythms, and as we, and as we approach Christmas, uh, our prayer is that over these next four weeks, uh, we would just slow those rhythms down, and we would take time uh, to consider uh, the story of Christmas, what it means what it means for our hearts, what it means for our lives, what it means for how we view the future and what that holds for us. 
So this morning we thank you for the opportunity just to peer into this story of hope that began uh, thousands and thousands of years ago and that travels through history and becomes true on that first Christmas, becomes real, becomes concrete. Uh, we pray your spirit would lead our hearts to truth and trust in this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.